We're going to start out over in the Gospel of Luke. You can turn there, look up on the screen, whichever is better for you. If you don't have a Bible and you like one, our ushers have some in the back that they can give to you. Just raise your hand and they will bring one right over to you. Luke chapter 17. There was a Muslim in Africa who, after being raised in a Muslim home and doing all the things that he was taught to do, one day became a Christian. And some of his friends came and asked him why he had done that. Why have you done such a thing? And he says, well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions. You don't know which way to go. And there at the fork are two men. One dead and one alive. Which one would you ask to show you the way? (laughs) Well, glory to God, we serve one who's alive. (laughs) He's the one telling us the way. On Sunday mornings, we've been at a series on looking at whether we are steady or stubborn, whether we are receiving the things of God or not. Last couple of weeks, we've been on the topic of frustration. But we took a break from that last week and looked at some things regarding the storms that came along the way of the United States, some of the causes for those things. If you missed that, it's already posted up on the internet. You can go down there and get that, listen to it if you want for free. Get a CD if you like. Ask one of the ushers. But this week we're going to take a look at something else along the same lines. And that is, are we really in the season of the end times? We've always heard people say for a long time, the end is near. (laughs) And we've got people who want us to store up food and, and, uh, you know, all the kinds of things that can go on. Uh, People are predicting uh, great collapses of money markets and supplies and all sorts of things. How many have heard all these different prophecies or all these different people come out and say all these different things and stuff? What can we expect of the end times and are we really in it? If you ask the average person on the street who's a Christian who goes to church, I wonder what they would say if you say, are we in the end times? Most of them may say, well, of course we are. Well, why? Why do we consider this to be the end times? I don't know that everyone could, could tell, but we're going to take a look at that. Jesus accounts the end times to a couple of events that have already happened in history. All we need to do is understand those events and we can understand the end times a whole lot better. In Luke chapter 17, verse 22, then he said to his disciples, the day, the days will come when you would desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. He said one of the days of the son of man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. How many times have we heard people rise up and say, I am the Christ. I am, follow me. I have the way to different things like this that are going on. He says what? Do not go after them or follow them. So if we have someone who rises up and they say, look here, look here. He says, don't follow them. This is Jesus. I think he knows a thing or two about the end times. He's the guy who kind of sets it off. Listen to him. For as the lightning that flashes out from one part under heaven shines to the other to depart under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in His his day. Now, how many of you that makes perfect sense? (laughs) I mean, he's like lightning, right? Well, what is it? You got to understand what he's asking. What he's saying, first off, is that people are going to come up and say, "You got to come over here. You got to come over there." This is where it's happening. We just had that group last year, May 22nd. You've got to be among us. 
And, you know, May 22nd left. Then, of course, they reposted it to October. And it's past October. <laughs> so, that didn't happen. But they all wanted you to follow after them, put your money here, do these kind of things. According to Jesus, what, we, what should we do? Don't follow them. A lot of people followed them, lost all their money, have nothing for the future, and then got mad at God. And God said, I told you not to follow them. It's right there. He says, I'm like lightning. Son of man is like lightning. What is lightning like? How many of you have seen lightning in the sky? Now see, over here in Pennsylvania, we have lightning. We have some good lightning, but I'll tell you what, we have no lightning like to have out in Oklahoma. If you want to see real lightning, go out west. I don't know what other places I have. I was in Oklahoma. I spent time in Oklahoma. I know they know what lightning is. It is fantastic lightning. Over here you have lightning. There's a streak, but a huge flash. There are no flashes out there. It is just one very large and intimidating streak. My first experience with Oklahoma lightning was on my first day in Oklahoma. First day I landed in Oklahoma, my, my dad set me up to meet some people that I didn't know, but he knew through someone else. And they were going to meet me at the airport, pick me up, take me over to their house till I find a place to live. So we did that. They picked me up. I'm over there. Well, what do you do when you're in a strange town? You put on your running shoes and you go running. <laughs> That's what everybody would do. So I, struck, I put on my running shoes and I went running. Now, understand when I go running, I don't go for two or three miles. I go for eight, ten and twelve. So I strapped these suckers on and I went for a normal run. And I'm going and I'm running on down the road. I'm about you know six, seven miles away from home. Well, where I stand. And I'm noticing clouds. And they don't look nice. So I figure, well, I'll turn around and I'll head on back. This is out in the plains. I'm sure you can see stuff way before it gets here. <laughs> I was wrong. That storm was on top of me. And I was running home in one of the nastiest thunderstorms I'd ever seen. Because I'd never been to Oklahoma before. We went to church that night. Obviously, I made it home. <laughs> we went to, went to church that night in one of the, still one of the most ferocious thunderstorms. It was over at um, uh, Victory Christian Center. They had their word explosion going on. And I was in my first time in any of the churches in Oklahoma. Wonderful service and powerful storm outside. I love watching lightning storms. And things like that, but I'll tell you what, they're, they are something else. But I bring all that up to tell you this. If you've got a really good lightning storm going on, do you call up your neighbor and say, hey, you gotta come over here and see this? You don't do that, do you? No, all you say is, did you look out your window? <laughs> Why? Because they can see it from where they are, just like you can see it from where you are. The Son of Man is like lightning. You do not have to be in a certain spot. When it strikes, you can see it. <laughs> it's going to be there. So don't listen to people who try. No, you got to be in this group. No, you got to be over here. No, you got to do this. No, when the Son of Man comes, folks, we will all see it. Some of us are going to be glad. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Some are going to be glad. So that's the first thing he says. But first, he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, he gives us an indication of what it will be like when he comes again. He said, as it was in the days of 
Noah. How was it in the days of Noah? Well, apparently, they ate. They drank. They married wives. And apparently, they gave daughters in marriage. What's that sound like to you? It sounds normal, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds like this is life. It sounds like there is nothing remarkable going on. He does not say there was great economic collapse. He does not say there was an interruption in the food supply. He says, as it was in the days of Noah. So as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when he comes again. Which means, it's going to be like that. It's going to be pretty much normal. When the flood came upon the people in the days of Noah, did they expect it? Were they surprised? Yeah. Because there was no indication that anything was going to happen. It just happened. And the flood came. Well, he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 28. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. How many of y'all remember Lot? They ate. They drank. They bought. They sold. They planted. They built. He's not talking about giving marriages now. He's just talking about eating and drinking. He may have had some questions about some of their marriages. Where Lot was staying, but maybe that's why he left it out. I'm not sure. He just, he left it out. He said they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold. That sound like the economy is doing okay? They planted. If you're planting, don't you expect to get a harvest? So there's no indication that you're not going to get a harvest. So there's no great drought. You're planting because you expect to get a harvest. You're planting because you expect to be around. When the harvest comes, they built. Why are they building? Because they expect to be around to be in, and live in the buildings. In other words, life is normal. <laughs> there was nothing funny about what was going on. There was nothing that tipped any of these guys off that something spectacular was going to happen. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So they didn't have any indication of it. But that didn't stop them from dying. They died just as well as if they would have known about it. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So how, what are we to expect when He comes again? Exactly how it was before. Nothing to point to anything out of the ordinary going on. Even so it will be when the Son of Man is revealed. And that day, he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not go come down and take them away. Likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember, Lot's wife. <laughs> well, that's a good image right there, isn't it? Yeah, remember she turned around? He said, don't look back. And she looked back and... That was it. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you in the night, there will be two men in one bed and one will be taken and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. 
Now we can get into all that sort of stuff too, but that takes us too long. We're just going to focus in on this part. What is the season and what is it that we can expect? So here in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. Pretty much what we're doing now. That'll pr- pretty much continue to go on all the way up until, until that time. Life will be normal. Now I want you to notice this about, he gives two stories. One about Lot and one about Noah. He gives a lot of similarities. He's saying, as life was with Noah, life will be when I come again. As life was with Lot, life will be when they come again. But I want you to notice there's one very big difference between the story of Noah and the story of Lot. In the story of Noah, judgment came upon the earth and the righteous were saved in it. In the days of Lot, judgment came upon the city and Lot was pulled out. One, they were left in and one, they were pulled out. That is one very remarkable difference and one which he does not spend a whole lot of time on because Jesus does not teach about the rapture of the church. He teaches about the second advent, the second coming of Christ. They are two distinct events. We'll show you through the Word of God here. They are two distinct events. Jesus left room for the rapture, but taught about the second advent. Paul, once he introduced the church, taught about the rapture. Now, we'll go over here to this other... We'll come back to that that part here in just a little bit. But there are two figurative representations of Israel in the Word of God. In the Song of Solomon, it says, The fig tree puts forth his green figs, and the vine with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, come away. Isaiah 34 and 4, Isaiah 36 and 16, Jeremiah 8 and 13... All do the same thing. Here in Hosea 9 and verse 10, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits of the fig tree in its first season. But they went to Baal Peor and they separated themselves to that shame. They became an abomination like the thing they loved. Constantly in these these verses, we will see Israel referred to as the vine and the fig tree. Every time in the Word of God, when Israel is referred to as the vine, it refers to Israel in a productive state when they are following after God. When they refer to as the fig tree, it is Israel in a religious state, unproductive, and not following after God. Two symbols. When you see the vine used, it is speaking of Israel in a good state. When you see the fig tree used, you see Israel in the latter state. Jesus speaks to a generation here in Matthew 24. I kept going back further and further and further because I didn't want you to, well, I can't, we can't miss that. Oh, we can't cut that out. So I went back further than I, than you might think I wanted to go, but I just really want you to see the whole context of this thing. Verse 1, Matthew 24, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another. They shall be thrown down. Now, that got them asking questions. We looked at that verse last week. That got them to ask some questions. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, one of Jesus' favorite places to teach from, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Three questions they asked Jesus. Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke record the answers. Luke records the answers to two. Matthew records the answers to two. In all, we have the answers to three. 
So where do we leave off at? Three. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. First words out of Jesus' mouth. Take heed that no one deceives you. What did He say before? Don't follow them. His number one concern is, don't get led astray in this. Stay on the right path. Don't, don't let people deceive you about what's going on. Paul will deal with this as well with people who try to deceive him. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. When we see people who rise up in this earth and begin to talk to people, oh, we've got the way. Oh, get, we got the date. Oh, we got the, folks, many will rise up and say, this is it. This is the way. Many will rise up and say, I am the Christ. Many will do it. And he says, don't be deceived. Now, if you know what the sign of his coming is, you can never be deceived by anyone. But you got to know what the sign of his coming is. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Are we hearing that? We've been hearing that for a long time, haven't we? See that you are not troubled. How many times have we heard good-meaning preachers get on up and get people to be troubled because of the things going on in the world? What's Jesus say? Don't be troubled. <laughs> he says, just calm down. Don't be afraid. Don't be troubled. Don't get all in an uproar. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, and pestilence, and earthquakes in various places. Has nothing to do with global warming, apparently. <laughs> He's just saying it's going to happen. All these are the beginning of sorrows. <laughs> just the beginning. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawless, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. There will be people that because of the deceivers who have risen up and said, I'm the way, I got the way, I know the date, I know. And it doesn't happen. They begin to grow cold. Nobody knows what's going on. No, but, and this is all the devil's plan. If we throw enough stuff out there, people will grow cold. They won't want to hear it. And they won't believe that he's ever coming again. And then they'll be unready, unprepared, and he's got them. But Jesus says, there'll be a whole lot of them. Now understand this, love of many will grow cold because of it, but it shouldn't. Verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. In other words, don't grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophets standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Now, he's referring to teaching that Daniel gave. Daniel gave us wonderful teaching. He told us that the temple will be rebuilt in the end times. I was telling some people last week after last week's uh, uh, stuff we got into, that only about 15% of the Jewish people in Israel want to rebuild the temple. Somewhere around, it's very low. But they are a very fervent bunch. <laughs> and the way they go about it, you might think it's a majority. Most of them don't care. But there are a small majority, about 15% or so, who are really, really want to get this thing going on. It will be rebuilt. When they rebuild it, they will not be following God. Because to follow God, you follow Jesus as the sacrifice, not make sacrifices again. The very fact that the temple is being rebuilt and the sacrifice restored shows you that Israel will follow after God through religion. 
not through the Spirit. Jesus is telling us this is what's going to happen. Daniel is telling us this is what's going to happen. They're going to set up the sacrifice. They're going to make a covenant with the Antichrist. And then, at about halfway through the covenant, the Antichrist is going to come in and he is going to set up an abomination. He is going to desecrate the temple. And if, if any folks are real interested in it, we could spend a whole Sunday just on the Antichrist. You can know exactly where the Antichrist is coming from. We don't know who he is, but we know exactly where he is coming from. Let me give you a clue. It is not the United States. It is not Russia. It is not China. It is very evident where he comes from. And the Bible is really clear. I don't know how people... You have to have a, a PhD to mess this up. It's the only way. If you have a PhD, you could probably mess this up. I don't know how these guys mess this up. The Bible is extremely clear where Antichrist is coming from. If you want to, let me know at the end of the service if you all are interested in this. We'll spend some time on it next week because I don't want you to be deceived about it. Antichrist is coming. We know exactly where he's coming from. We don't know who because as long as we're here, we keep him from showing up. But we know exactly where he's coming from. It's not hard. The Bible says it not in one place. The Bible must say this in at least six places and gives us representatives of them in other places, it is unmistakable where he comes from. And if you, oh, if you understand what's going on in the world, you can see it playing out, oh, so well. All that area of the world is becoming the center point and it is, it is really being made ready. If you've been here for the end times teaching, you'll know exactly where we're talking about. But let's finish off with this part. Daniel talked about this in his, in his prophecies. What was going to happen was there was going to be an image that is set up and this image is going to come to life. It is going to be brought to life by the power of the prophet that is teamed up with Antichrist. You're seeing the forerunner to it right now. How many times have we seen statues that do live things? Bleed? Cry? Uh, what else have they done? I don't know. They, they just, they, they were doing, they're doing things that make them alive and then people line up to touch the whatever, and they're going to be healed. I mean, we've seen all these kind of things going on, right? We're seeing uh, pictures of Jesus show up in windows and sides of buildings, and I think one person had it on their pancakes. Uh, we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like, but there he is right on the pancakes there. <laughs> I don't know how that works, but um, don't be deceived. But see, we're getting made ready for this. Because then when Antichrist comes and sets up his image and that image comes alive, people will worship him. They're being set up for it. And most of this stuff with the statues coming alive is being done inside the Catholic Church, in the Christian circles. And, and a lot of them are the ones falling for it. And if they're going to fall for it, what do you think the world's going to do when this happens? So he talks about when the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let him understand. Then let those who are in the Judea flee to the mountains. These are the very mountains that uh, Balak and Balaam conspired against Israel on to try and curse Israel. And God is going to say, you go to those mountains. I'm going to protect you from there. They won't be able to get you. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. Remember, we heard that before. And let him who is in the field not go back to get it closed. We heard that before. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And <laughs> what's he saying? <laughs> Don't get pregnant in those days, I guess. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. 
For then there will be great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. The days of tribulation are the final three and a half years of the tribulation. The first three and a half years are part of the tribulation. The second three and a half years are part of what is called the great tribulation. And nothing this world has ever seen will be like it. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. What he's talking about here is he told Israel to flee into the mountains. They have to get them out of the mountains in order to get them. So they're going to say, Christ just showed up over here. Y'all, the mountains, come on down. You need to come down. He's calling for you. And if they're stupid enough to come on down, they die. He's saying, don't be stupid enough to come down. Stay up there. I can get you in the mountains. <laughs> but if you understand how he's coming back, you wouldn't be deceived. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. We heard that before. For whoever the carcass is, there the eagles would be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. whole lot we get into with that, but that's all digging into the book of Revelation. All easy to understand. I've said this many times, but it's because I believe it. The book of Revelation is the easiest book in the Bible to understand. It is not difficult. All you need is a PhD and you can mess it up. But if you just look at what it says, it's really easy to understand. It's not a hard book to understand. People got scared of Revelation and said, oh, I can't understand it. Sure you can. If I can understand it, you can understand it. <laughs> then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now you tell me any of these false Christs who show up, who show up in the sky and coming down through the clouds like lightning that everyone can see. You tell me who's, who, who in the past has done this. But yet people have followed them. Oh, they're the Christ. Have they come down in the sky? Through the clouds? Like lightning? Like lightning so everybody can see it? No. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Did they come with angels? Anybody hear a trumpet? It wasn't him. And they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the what? What's that mean? Israel in an unproductive state. A religious state. What kind of state is Israel in in the end times? Remember they have a temple. They're making sacrifices. What are they? Unproductive fig tree state. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. You also know when you see all these things, you know that it is near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. It puts forth leaves. But does he mention anything about fruit? Do you remember when Jesus encountered a fig tree that had leaves and no fruit before? How did that go? <laughs> Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. When we see the fig tree come alive again, then that generation will not pass away until they see these things. That's the generation. So have we seen Israel become a nation? 1948, Israel became a nation. 
1967, they took Jerusalem. That really is the time that for end time folks, that's what we really look at when they took Jerusalem. And that's really when the, the clock starts to go. The pressure is on. We looked last week. The pressure has been on for Israel to give up land. Last week we looked at all the places that they're being pressured to give up. All but one of those places is where they, where God showed up to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In every one of those areas that is now a, a area they're trying to be pressured to give back. The West Bank and Gaza. This is where he showed up. Isaac, he showed up in Gaza. Abraham and Jacob showed up most, most times in areas that were in the West Bank. There was one time he showed up with Isaac that was not in the contested areas. This is the only time he showed up in a non-contested area. Every other time was in those things. Don't you think Jesus knew what, they, what the contested areas would be? Now look away. We're going to see some familiar stuff here. We left off at 34, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. He's also asked this after his resurrection. And he answers it just slightly differently. He doesn't say, only my Father knows. He says, it is not for you to know. I have a feeling that Jesus knows exactly when he's coming back. But it's not for us to know the day or the hour. So we don't go around preaching days and hours. If anyone preaches a day and an hour, they're wrong. That's all that there is to it. We can know the season, but not the day and the hour. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Boy, we heard that teaching before, huh? And he goes on and, and keeps going on about that. You can go on back to Matthew 24 and 25 and read the rest of that if you want to. But over in Ezekiel chapter 38, again, we're just looking at the things that mark the season. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, against the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaw, and lead you out. With all your army, horses, and horsemen, and all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tagarma, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourselves and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, you will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. Speaking about Israel being gathered. Which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend coming like a storm covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go against a land of unwalled villages. I go, go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates. It was common to make bars in their day. It was around you walled cities, but anymore, does a wall help? You just fly a plane right over top of that thing. little helicopter, drop some people over there, build a tunnel, blow the wall up. I mean, there's, there's, there's no reason for a wall anymore. Not helping you. So we don't have them. So he's saying they're going against unwalled cities. 
to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places and are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish and all the young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? So they're being questioned, but not necessarily stopped by these folks. I looked at some things about the nations involved, and most of the times the nations that we look at are being involved are Russia, Iran, taking the names that they give and looking at where they are now, where those nations are now, what where they refer to then and where they are now. We're looking at Russia, Iran, the Sudan, Ethiopia. Back then it was not Ethiopia where it is now. The Sudan is Libya and Turkey. How many of y'all know these are coming together? One person made, uh, that I read made a really good case for leaving Russia out. Most lists include Russia in. They may or may not be in or they may be. I'm not, I won't say exactly. But again, interpretation, we, we're kind of a little hit or miss on interpretation. What we do is we know what the Bible says. And then we see how it comes about. And it will come about just like he said. But these nations will rise up. They will come against Israel. And they will lose a battle that they should win. Because the Lord is fighting for them. And Israel, it says, will take them seven years to burn all the weapons that they left behind. To take all the, all the stuff that they had left. It's going to create a balance of power. I believe, this is my belief on it, I don't know this exactly from the teaching of the Word of God, but as I look at how these things all play out, this battle causes a rift of power that Antichrist probably steps up to fill. That's my opinion on it. It may not come out that way. If it doesn't come out that way, it's not the Bible that was wrong, it's just me. <laughs> but that's just something that I feel from looking at it and the things that are going on. This is going to create a balance, an imbalance of power in the region Israel may look at this as, oh, we can maybe make peace now and set the stage for Antichrist to, to step on up. Whether that happens before the rapture, at the rapture, right after the rapture, I am not sure. We're not really given a time frame on it. But it's going to be somewhere around that, that, frame of, that framing of time. Getting back to the rapture part of it, about Jesus and His coming. Let's take a look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. The reason that he writes the letter this way is because the folks in Thessalonica are undergoing great tribulation. What they're going through right now is extremely hard, harder than anything you could imagine. It is very tough to be a Christian in this place. And someone signed a letter by the name of Paul and wrote them a letter saying, I was wrong. You guys are in the tribulation now. And got them all upset. So Paul writes this letter. Do not let anyone trouble you as if, the tri as if this has come upon you unaware. He says, don't be shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of Christ had come. Verse 3, let no one deceive you. Boy, we can see this theme in just about every end time thing that goes on. Let no one deceive you. What lets you know it is a big market out there to deceive people about end time things. But the Bible is real clear. If you get what the Bible says, it brings peace. 
that brings comfort, that brings gladness. We get excited. Oh man, it's the end times. <laughs> this is good. Because we know what the Bible says about it. If it brings fear, unrest, turmoil, you've been deceived. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. Now this verse has thrown people off a whole lot because people have, how many have ever heard the theory that Christ is not coming in the rapture, the second advent is it, and all Christians are going through the rapture or all Christians are going through the tribulation. I not only heard that, I believed it. I was so good at it, I went to a Baptist college that taught uh, uh, pre-tribulation stuff, that Christ was coming as a rapture and, and so forth. And uh, the whole school believed that. Every person in the school that I talked to believed it and believed it strongly. I was about the only one who didn't. But you see, the problem was, I knew their argument backwards and forwards, and they didn't know mine. And I shot every single one of them down. They couldn't argue with me for nothing. Because, first off, I was right. <laughs> Even though I was wrong. <laughs> but you see, their, their arguments that most people do for, for a rapture are hideous. I still hear people today preach or pre, pre-rapture or pre-tribulation rapture. And I go out there scoffing. You guys don't know what you're talking about. No wonder people don't believe this. I went through Raymond. Brother Hagen used to teach up a Raymond. He said, I've studied it for 50 years. And I'm more convinced than ever that he's coming as a rapture for his church. And they had somebody else teaching the class. I sat in the class and says, man, this is the same stuff I've heard over and over. I don't believe it yet. But I know what he's teaching. They came into a spot. They needed somebody to run the camera because it was the first time they were doing this. Teacher was teaching this class. I said, I'll run the camera. I don't need to take notes. I didn't tell him the last part. I just, I didn't need to take notes. I ran, I ran the camera, took the test, didn't write down a single note from the class, got an A in the, the thing because I put down all the answers they wanted and, um, and went on. But I said, that's, that's not right. I shot holes in every bit of their arguments. It wasn't until uh, Pastor Bob Yanyan, my pastor out there in Tulsa, he taught him the thing. He was the first one I ever heard ask the questions that I asked about the pre-tribulation rapture. And he answered them. And he answered them very easily. And once I saw the answers, I said, oh, this makes perfect sense. This makes more sense than what I was looking at. And I've been on the other side ever since. So if you, ever, if you know somebody or you have been on the side where you don't believe there is a, a rapture coming, I've been there and I can tell you it's wrong. <laughs> it isn't right. Here's what's right. When it talks about the great falling away, how many have ever heard, and this, this still sits in the church today, that before Christ comes, the church is going to grow cold and a whole lot of Christians are going to backslide. That is false. That is wrong. That is not what the Bible teaches. The word here for falling away is the word apostasia. How many have ever heard that word before? What's it mean? We transliterate it into English and we get a word that means apostasy, which is false doctrine. False doctrine. The Greek word does not mean that. The Greek word means a falling away. The context says what you fall away from. If it is doctrine and you use this word, it means a falling away from the truth. But he is not talking about a falling away of the truth. He is talking, here's the root of the thing. To cause to withdraw, to go away, 
depart, withdraw from, when true or false, when true or false doctrine is in view, it would mean to draw away from right teaching. But that, that idea comes from the context, not from the word. Let me give you some other places where this word is used. And you see if it's talking about false doctrine. And this woman was a widow of about 48 years in Luke chapter 2 verse 37 who did not depart from the temple. Is that talking about false doctrine? No? No, okay. Luke chapter 4 verse 13. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him. Is that talking about false doctrine? Luke 8 13. But the ones on the rock are those who when they hear receive the word with joy and those who have no root who believe for a while in a time of temptation fall away. (laughs) What's it talking about there? They fell away from the truth because of temptation. But it's talking about truth. 2 Corinthians 12.8 Concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Is he talking about I want false doctrine to go away from me? No, he's talking about the messenger of Satan. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the... Is that talking about apostasy? Yes. Because the context is to leave the faith. But here he says that how many will? Some. Is some a great apostasy? Is that a great falling away? Some is some. It's not great. It's some. First Timothy 6, 5. Unless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth who suppose that godliness is the means of gain. From such withdrawal or depart. This word can mean all sorts of things, including falling away from the truth. But it depends on the context. In the context of how Paul uses it, he is talking about a great depart, departation. We call it the rapture. That's not, we're talking about some. We're talking about a number, a whole a great number. We're talking about all the people going that are saved, that are born again. This word also carries a def- the definite article. He is talking about a particular great calling away, departation, whatever we want to, word you want to put in there. It goes back to verse 1. I pull that up on the, pull verse 1 up in there. I don't have to go back, backwards on it. Uh, first Timothy, where were we were just at reading? First Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Excuse me. I'm looking at the wrong one there. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him. This is what he's referring to. This is what he's writing about. This is the context of it. When he's saying the great departation, he's referring to this. He's not referring to false doctrine. He's not referring to people falling away. This is what he's writing about. What is the concern of the Thessalonians? That we are now in the tribulation and we missed the rapture. The meaning of his book is you have not missed the rapture. The day cannot come until the great departation happens. What Paul is saying is that it is impossible to have the tribulation start until the rapture occurs. Is it any clearer than that? Is it possible for him to have written this clearer? 
The only way you got it messed up is because a PhD interpreted it. That's the only way you got it messed up. Because you need a PhD to mess this stuff up. It's clear. He says it is clean and as clear as day. Folks, the rapture's coming. We are getting out of here. And then, <laughs> oh man. He says then, verse 17, well, let's go back to, let's go back to 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means priest, oh, I'm, I'm missing all that. I gotta go back a little bit further. Excuse me for that. Go on to verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. People who have fallen asleep, you know what that means? They're dead. <laughs> they died before you did. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. So when He comes, He's going to bring them with Him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Why? Because they're already there. <laughs> Can't precede them. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. We heard this before, didn't we? And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This brings comfort. It should bring comfort. Where do we meet Jesus? That is huge for you to understand. We meet Him in the air. In the air. Keep that in mind. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Seasons. We're approaching a new season. End time season. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when you say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes. In other words, as in the days of Noah, as in the days of Lot, things just going on, peace and safety, and then bang. <laughs> then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Some of you women can relate to this. We men cannot, but maybe you women, you know, <laughs> men all of a sudden, oh, it's here. It's coming. <laughs> it's sudden. There's no warning. It's just bang. There it is. And they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. The world is in darkness. We are not. This day should not overtake us as a thief, as did the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah, as did the inhabitants of Noah's world. It should not, because we are in the light. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. He has not appointed us to wrath. If you have gone through the book of Revelation, you will find out that the tribulation is attributed as a time of God's wrath. 
And we are not appointed to it. We are not appointed to it. We will be pulled out. The seasons, the things that mark this season, first off, Israel becoming a nation. Some of the unions that are going on among the nations. Some of the things that are going on even in the world. The false Christ that come up. These things all point to us and tell us these things are these things are coming. Jesus taught Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Joshua concerning the land that they would be given. You can probably quote this. Every place on which your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. This is a principle that God put in operation. This is your land. When you put your, up until the day you put your foot on it, it's not yours. When you put your foot on that land, that land becomes yours. Isn't that what he taught them? He taught to Abraham. He taught to Isaac. He taught it to Jacob. He taught it to Moses. He taught it to Joshua. You remind Joshua before he went into the promised land, every place of your foot tread, it's going to be yours. Now go take it. Go march on that land. Take that land. When Jesus comes at the rapture, we meet him in the Air. Where are his feet? In the air. They do not touch the ground. When he comes for the second coming, he comes and his feet touch the ground on a place called the Mount of Olives. The same place where Jesus was teaching. The same place where Jesus ascended to heaven and the angels came. Why do you look upon it? Why are you standing here looking? Jesus will come in the same manner in which he left. He will, as he ascended, he will descend on the ground. Zechariah tells us this. Behold, in chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, if you want to write it down. Zechariah 14, verses 1 through 4. Behold, the day the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the woman ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations. He will fight in the day of battle. And in that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. He has more to say on that. He keeps on going. If you want to go back up there and, and take a look at it. And Jesus is coming in a rapture for His church. He will take everyone who believes in Him out so that they are not here for the great outpouring of wrath that will come about. We will not be here for all the muck and stuff that the Antichrist puts on this world. We will not be here for all the wars, all the pouring out of the wrath all the things that were going on, if you people have said and you believed, well, God never spared His church before. I can show you a number of times where He has pulled people out of what He wanted to do. Lot was one of them and Jesus used that as an example. I pulled Lot out of Sodom and Gomorrah and I'm going to pull you out too. The word that the, word, that the Bible teaches as far as the rapture, that we get our, our understanding of the rapture from, the Latin word is actually where we get the word rapture. And when they translated harpazo into Latin, they got a word that we get our word rapture from. 
but harpazo means a catching away. It means a violent catching away. It was used when the sower sows the seed and the enemy came and snatched it away. He harpazoed it. You can go through the Word of God and look at a number of other places where it was used, but it was generally a forceful evacuation of someone from a harmful situation. When you came in, say that your son or daughter fell in a pool. How do you pull them out? Gently. Oh, be careful how you're pulling. Don't pull too hard. Don't want to hurt him. Now, what do you do? You snatch him. You were not concerned about the bruises you might leave on his arm as you yank him out of the water. You were concerned about the water getting into the young man's lungs. So you grab and you snatch. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to come on down. He's going to grab us, snatch us out. He's going to harpazo us right out of this place. And that is the great rapture. But he only takes those who are ready. He does not take those who know about Jesus. He does not take those who go to church. He takes those who are ready, who are prepared themselves. That's why Jesus uses these examples. He says, y'all need to be ready. You don't know the day. You don't know the hour. So you need to be ready. Because when I come, it's fast. It's quick. You don't have time to get ready when I come. When I come, bang, I'm out of here. <laughs> he is gone. He's going to come out there, snatch us out, pull us, pull us out, and then the tribulation time will begin upon this earth where people will be forced to choose. You're going to choose one way, you're going to choose the other. We're going to choose it now. Because in seven years, this whole thing is done. We want everyone to be on the rapture. We want everyone to get pulled out. We don't want you to stay behind and do all the good that you can here. If there was good to be brought from that, then God would have said, you know what, I need to leave some of you. So I'm only going to come and get, you know, some of you. No, he's going to come and get you all. But you've got to be ready. If you're out there doing your own thing, not serving God because people have hurt you, people have offended you, people have driven you away, you got discouraged, you got tired of hearing all these end times people saying this thing and saying the other, you got deceived a couple of times, whatever it might be, God's not going to say, there. oh, you poor baby. Oh, that's a shame. What's he going to say? I told you don't be deceived. I told you not to do that. I said not to do that. You did it. I told you not to. I warned you. How many times did I tell you, don't be deceived? Don't follow after him. That's not him. How many times did I tell you that? But you didn't listen. You did your own thing. But he wants you to come along. And all we got to do to come along is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and we shall be saved. Say, Father God, you are Lord of my life and I am living my life for you. I'm not going to let the stupidity of other believers other Christians, other so-called Christians, other people in the world, I'm not going to let them drive me away. I am going to serve you. And that's all there is to it. Folks, we are all imperfect people and we do stupid stuff. But the one we serve is perfect. Well, I can't, I can't ever get good enough to, to serve him. Don't have to. There's not a soul here who can get good enough. Let me tell you what, my, my parents are sitting right here and they can attest to this. I was born into this world an angel. <laughs> yes, sir. Now, I, I got into, I did some troublemaking things, but I, I never one time got involved in drugs. Never one time got involved in smoking. Never one time got involved in cussing. Never one time got involved with people who hung out and did that sort of stuff. 
I followed after God from the day of my youth and never left. Not for a day. I learned more about the Word than most people when I was in high school who were graduated from college. When I was in college, I outclassed every person in the college on the knowledge of the Word. I blew everyone out of the water. No one could talk with me. Because I could quote so many scriptures and tell you so many things about what was going on. I lived my life that way. I knew the Word. I loved my God. I prayed. I sought after God regularly. And you know what I needed? A Savior. (laughs) Because I was not good enough to make it. I was not good enough to make it. If I did not have a Savior, I'd be on my way to hell. Even if I did all those things. And I was in church every day and knew all that I knew about the Bible. I'd be on my way to hell. I needed a Savior. I accepted my Savior early. And I followed Him every day since. And you can do the same. But you see what's great about this is it doesn't matter how long you serve God. If you serve God for one day and He comes tomorrow, you still get to go. You can serve God for 50, 60 years. Guess what? You get to go on the same, same ride. There's no first class, second class, third class. It's all the same ride. We all go. It doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter how bad you ever got. It doesn't matter what you ever did. And I'll bring you to it. We're, we're on the crucifixion weekend. How many remember that there are two people that were crucified next to Jesus? We talked about it on Friday. They both knew each other. They were probably both in the same gang. And they both know the evil that they had done. While they were nailed to a cross, the one repented. And Jesus said to him, It's too bad you didn't do this yesterday. What did he say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Now notice, this guy is hung up on a cross. He can't give his way of his money. He can't do any good work. He can't help anybody. He can't right any wrong he's ever done. All he can do is say, I repent. I believe in you. Let me be with you in your kingdom. He said, come on. That's how easy it is. <laughs> That's how easy it is. But if we don't follow after him, if we don't go after him, it's just as easy to be the guy on the other side. Just as easy to be the guy who doesn't. Would you all stand up with me? Every head bowed. No one looking around. If you are here today and you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you would like to, this can be your day. And you can go on and know, I am going on the first train. Don't wait for the second train. The second train is coming, but oh man. Don't wait for the second train. Go on the first one. If you'd like to receive Jesus today, we want you to raise your hand. We want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. We'll pray. And you get to be on the first train. If you have accepted Jesus Christ in the past, but you know that you have not been living the way that you should be. You walked away from God. You've backslid. Gotten involved in things you know you shouldn't have done. But you want to be ready. We want you to be ready too. Raise your hand and say, I want to come back to God. You know what God says? I'm ready. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) He's Oh, He is so good. It's it's just like the prodigal son. When the prodigal son was a long way off, the father saw him. Oh, there he is. Let's go get him. (laughs) You are my son, He said. You're not his hired servant. You are my son. We have one hand. Anyone else want to be on that? 
I have not been living for God, but I want to make sure I am on that train. We want to make sure you have that opportunity. If you raise your hand or if you didn't, if you want to come up here and have prayer, we want to do that for you. If you'd rather not, you can still get in. Nothing said you had to get in front of the church, but you need to pray. You need to turn your life over to God. Say, Father God, I'm living for you now. My life is yours.